to the fifth episode of Coral, Kelp, and Community. Today, we're going to be talking about land to sea stewardship with Vicki Goldstein, the founder of the Inland Ocean Coalition. She's got over 25 years of experience in ocean policy advocacy, community engagement, program development, environmental negotiation, and much more. And I'm so excited to have her here today. Okay, you are the founder of Inland Ocean Coalition. How how did that start? Well, to be honest, it started a very long time ago. It started when I was a kid, loved the ocean, and decided to go to college and study it, and then went to grad school to continue my studies. I worked for NOAA. I ran a nonprofit, an ocean-oriented nonprofit on the East Coast. I ran one on the West Coast. And after all of these experiences, I married the cute guy I met in graduate school and had children, and he got a job in Colorado. And so we are in the middle of the country with uh, children (laughs) and no, no hope for another ocean job in my life because obviously it was way before COVID and Zoom wasn't acceptable to work that remotely. And um, so I thought, well, if I can't find a job in oceans in Colorado, I'm just going to create a job. And my thought was, you don't have to see the ocean to protect it. And I had a strong feeling about that. And I thought, well, others might too. So I launched it in, well, I spent about a year exploring other organizations just in case, just in case I miss something, thinking, okay, well, let me do a search. There must be somebody doing something with the land to sea connection. And after a year, I determined that there wasn't. So I started the Colorado Ocean Coalition up, and we did that for a number of years. We had big events, brought in the ocean experts from around the world, Dr. Sylvia Earle, filmmakers, free divers, Uh, the Cousteaus, people who could really talk about the ocean experience, bring enthusiasm and content. And then I developed an education training program to train volunteers to go out into their community. And then in 2017, I revamped it to be the Inland Ocean Coalition as opposed to simply Colorado. And that was partly because a lot of the volunteers and chapter leads who were in other states kept saying, really, Vicki, we don't want to come under Colorado. We're in New Mexico. We're in Utah. We're in upstate New York. So we revamped it, and uh, we've been Inland Ocean Coalition since 2017. And we've had, oh, God, thousands of people work with us over the years and volunteers just trying to get the message out that the ocean is part of our, I mean, the ocean is a majority of our planet and that we really need to take care of it. And then different people had different ways of approaching it, you know, through their volunteer efforts. And that really is the the kind of the thrust of the organization, helping people find different ways throughout the world, because we're now international, to protect the ocean and then still have like a kind of a family or an umbrella that they can fit into without necessarily being a PhD or an expert, but they can get the training and get the enthusiasm, education and guidance to 
work in their communities and be a leader if they so choose. That is absolutely fantastic. And congratulations on going from a state to national to now international. What countries did you expand to? Oh, we have volunteers in, oh gosh, different countries in Africa, Honduras. Oh God, I really should have pulled up that list, but uh, there, there are quite <laughs> we grew up to like 36, 36 countries. And uh, we haven't quite hit all of the states in the U.S., but we're up to about 38 states. So it's, it's, it's happening. People are, are, are taking the training and then um, using their energy to make differences. And I, it's so funny. I just got an email this morning. One of our volunteers is doing a, a cleanup in upstate New York where they're going diving in the Great Lakes and pulling out, you know, trash and garbage. And I have another volunteer that does a lot of nurdle patrols in Texas. Other people are going on to work in schools to give you know presentations to elementary kids about the ocean or working in their in their local college to go in and work with the students. So it really does vary. I, I think that's actually really fantastic that you're providing sort of like a, a framework or like guidance because every community has different needs and different opportunities um, and a different ecology right? Like, obviously, the Great Lakes are pretty unique. And so they're going to have unique opportunities and needs to connect with the ocean and to learn about it. Um, which, I mean, that's, that's how a lot of things should probably be working when we consider how to handle the environment is instead of blanket statements being like a little more site specific. Um, but I do, I do have one quick question. I want to backtrack. Did you say Nurdle Patrol? I did. What is that? <laughs> I'm glad you called that. So, uh, when you look at pl plastic pollution in the big picture, it has a life cycle. So you start out with fracking to get the, the, the liquid gases. <clears throat> Those gases are then converted into a small, well, they're converted to a variety of things. But one of the things that um, is a concern to us are these nurdles, which are the feedstock for single-use plastics. And they're, they're very tall. They're, they're basically the size of a, a craft bead. And then those nurdles are put on trains and shipping containers and moved around the world, which are then sent to these factories that make single-use plastics. Well, in the process of the distribution, you have nurdle spills, and we have them in Colorado. We've got volunteers that have gone out and collected them from railroads. But in Texas, these nurdle spills occur often in wetlands and oh, no. the manufacturing locations. So they go into the wetlands, they go into the grasses, they get washed into the ocean. So these nurdle patrols go out there and try to get this plastic out of the ocean environment because like all plastic, it never goes away. It just slowly breaks down and becomes, you know, microplastics. And mm -hmm. you end up, you know, when you look at the, the accumulative picture, you know, you're getting a, a I would say a, a plastic smog in the ocean. And so anything that we can do, whether it's on a high level policy level, nationally or internationally, or with volunteers just to get the plastic out of the environment, we're all in favor of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so if I'm understanding correctly, a nurdle is the raw material used to make single use plastics, and it is a small-ish bead Correct. size. 
Yes. Okay. Interesting. And it's shipped from? Oh, it ships from Texas. It's shipped from a variety of, you know, anywhere, if you've ever heard the term Cancer Alley, where you have a lot of the um, big refineries, you know, Mm -hmm. Louisiana, Texas, they're big. That's a big area where you will have that kind of activity occurring. And so you have lots of shipping that will happen out of those regions in the Gulf of Mexico going worldwide for distribution facilities. And it's just messy. You know, you're, you're mm-hmm. pouring these very small beads, beads, you know, single use plastic beads into these vessels that will then go around the world and you get spills. And so, you know, and then when you are at a railroad, you know, there's a, you know, you're collecting the beads from the cars and into a different container and it's, it's messy. So you get a lot of spills of these, of these nurdles. Are they, are they like hard or gooey? No, they're very hard. They're just, they they literally look like um, a bead that you would string a necklace with kind of a chunky little bead, except it doesn't have a hole in the middle of it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I, um, wow. You really do learn something new every day. <laughs> One of the reasons I love this podcast, Nerdle. It's such a cute word for such a horrible thing. I know, isn't it? <laughs> I agree. It makes it sound like, oh, I'm on a Nerdle patrol. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> you realize the incredible toxicity of each of these little Nerdles. And then you can imagine just like the millions of Nerdles that get spilled in the course of a, you know, a, a, a year or a decade. And I don't even think we have data on the number of spills there there have been lawsuits against some of these companies by saying you need to clean up your your act because you're having too many spills and people think of spills you know, you know goopy oil or mm-hmm. you know liquids but there's also the nurdles that are being spilled and are getting into the environment so it's yeah the the uh, oil and gas industry and the chemical industry is um has pretty much wrecked havoc on a lot of areas of our environment so it's uh, something we need to be moving away from and hopefully with more information about the life cycle of plastics you know where it starts out as fracking here you know pennsylvania wyoming colorado when i say here colorado Mm -hmm. and it goes through all those processes and you've got the single use and then that's in the stores and then of course the consumer uses it anywhere from I don't know what, three minutes to an hour, and then it is usually improperly disposed of or goes into a trash can or into a tree or into a waterway, making its way to the ocean or into a landfill where then it gets buried or goes into an incinerator where it's burned. And then those chemicals then go back into the air, which continues to impact the environment. So it's a pretty heinous life cycle. And we have gotten very used to living in the single use plastics world without recognizing the consequences. And it's now coming back and people are going, holy cow, what the heck happened? You know, we're getting a, what is it? A credit card's worth of plastic in our body every day, every week, kind of depending on where you live and who you are. And it's now showing up in your brain, it's showing up in the placenta. So it's like, whoa, wait a minute. We've really got to get on top of it. But those of us in the environmental field have been trying to do this for, you know, for decades. Yeah. Hopefully we'll make some headway. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I've been seeing some of those studies recently coming out of where they're finding plastic. And it's, 
deeply disturbing. Embedded, <laughs> deeply disturbing. It's like literally deeply in your body and deeply disturbing. Um, yeah, it's ooh, ooh. Um, okay, so so uh, thank you for that little rabbit hole down Nerdle Patrol. <laughs> um, so so that so that's um a lot of the the ongoing work you have mm-hmm. with the inland ocean coalition which obviously sounds very diverse which is fantastic um do you have like are there any campaigns that you all kind of do together or is it a little more segmented or anything like that? like do you have anything special going on now that people should know about uh yeah well we have right now kind of moving things around right now we are getting ready for our inland ocean ambassador training program and that will be coming up in the fall and we do that twice a year sometimes three times a year and this is where i was mentioning um you get volunteers from all over the world that sign up and it's a five week training program, usually two, two hours a night for five weeks with including a graduation. And we bring in speakers and we have breakouts and it gets people to know each other and then they can actually collaborate and do things together depending on where they live or online. And then that will begin um, on September 7th. So we still have our applications out and available and they can be found at the Inland Ocean Coalition website. And uh, that will be going and that will happen. Uh, well, that will be, like I said, starting on the 7th of um, September and go for five weeks. And I'm really excited about that because I love meeting our volunteers and they bring in, oftentimes they're already doing something that has an environmental component. You know, they might be working, some of the examples are people who are working on a wastewater treatment facility, say in Rhode Island, and they are very concerned about water quality and how to take what they're doing into their community to really tie that into how their facilities can then benefit people and then also benefit the ocean because they have such a high level of cleansing with their treatment facility. Um, and everything from people who are working on um, cleaning up lakes in Africa where you have exotic species and they're trying to get in there and clean them out so you can get more of your native species growing because you're getting an invasion where it's getting impossible for people to even move their boats through some of these lakes to teachers who just want to bring the content into their classroom. So I'm always looking forward to meeting the, uh, the ocean ambassadors and seeing where they come from and what their stories are. So that is one big project. Uh, another project, we are working with International Rotary on a petrochemical sunscreen campaign. And the idea is to work initially with the island of Roatan because they get so many divers that come in from around the world and we have a lot of communication with divers you know at the inland ocean coalition to help people understand a we have climate change impacts so our oceans are warming and i think we pretty much all know that we're having acidity from the fossil fuel use and changing the ph of the ocean we have overfishing we have plastics and then we have this low hanging fruit which is all the junk people put on their bodies before they go into the ocean. And so we know now that a lot of the chemicals in the sunscreen, like the oxybenzone, the octanoxates, the avobenzones, are in essence an herbicide. 
And a coral is a symbiotic relationship between a plant and an animal. So when you're putting these herbicides in, it's getting to the corals and it's actually weakening the coral's ability to flourish and spawn and grow and is adding that extra pressure on it. And in some cases, if the concentrations are great enough, like if you have a big swim beach and a lot of people are putting that on and you've got a coral reef right close by, then that can significantly impact that. So the idea is to get some posters out, get an um, education campaign out, share it via social media, through newsletters, and encourage people to join the campaign. They can take these posters and put their own logos on and just try to educate people as to you know, this one little thing you can do, and that is to not wear these sunscreens. But there are alternatives. So we don't want you to go out there and get skin cancer. <laughs> but we want you to think about other products you can use and other sun coverings that you can implement to, in essence, give corals a break. So that's going to be, um, we're kind of in the beginning of that launch right now, and that'll be happening. And then we have our Masquerade Mermaid Ball, which is going to be happening on October 14th in Boulder, which is our fundraiser. And we have pirates and mermaids and merman and an auction and it's just a lot of fun to celebrate the ocean and we try we try not to dwell on the negative because we're so often reminded through newspapers and social media of all the challenges our ocean is facing but we also have to remember the the little wins that we are getting so um, that's what really the masquerade mermaid ball is about bringing people together who care about the ocean whether they're a teacher a student, a photographer, or just somebody who loves to go to the beach, surfer, anything, diver, um, that we really can all work together and try to try to turn this tide around. That is super fantastic. Um, it's it's definitely okay. So, so of all the all the things you said, <laughs> the three things they're really great things. Um, everyone who is interested in joining um joining the inland ocean coalition for a training session i realize this episode is probably going to air after the 7th of september um but there will be a link in the show notes to the inland ocean coalition so you can definitely see when the next one is um and I like the sunscreen issue. I super feel that uh, as someone who grew up in California where there is lots of sun and, you know, wanting to go surfing a lot, uh, I was very eager to find, you know, the reef safe labeled sunscreens. And I know that, you know, not all of those are created equal and we probably need to have some more uh, stricter policies about what can be called reef safe. But generally, I think you're safe with the mineral ones because it's a, yeah, it's a physical barrier. Um, and it, ba it basically, you know, you remember like the, well, maybe we don't remember, maybe not all of us listening remember, but we've seen the photos of like surfers in the sixties and they have this white cover on their nose made of zinc. Yeah. These days they're, um, there's some cool sunscreens that are tinted and they're like various skin tones. So you don't have to have a white triangle on your face. <laughs> Every morning I put on a zinc based tinted sunscreen just because I live in Colorado. And of course, you know, when I'm out gardening or walking, 
you know, I don't want to have that yeah, the kind phone's of impact. like right next door to but you. Generally, <laughs> yeah, generally you just don't want to wear any of the chemical. And that's why we're calling it the petrochemical sunscreen ban, because if it's got chemicals other than the, the zinc and the barrier, then um, you're getting into some other stuff. And, and some of the, the terms are really complex. People are like, you know, multiple syllables. So you just want to really stick with the basics of the barrier sunscreen versus the other. Yeah, definitely. Um, and man, I wish I could attend that mermaid ball. Do people get like, is it, did you say masquerade ball? Like, is this a let's get dressed up like mer people type of event? People come as mermaids or they come as, oh, there have been people that come as giant shrimp. They come as like a giant trash pile. We have a trashy mermaid who comes with, you know, cigarette butt earrings. And I mean, people use their imagination. People come as Jacques Cousteau. People come as a fish. It's, it varies. You can't even predict. And then we have a, then we have a costume contest and, uh, what does the winner get? Oh God, we last year we had some, a couple people come as, oh shoot, what was that movie where they had the the, the guy that got stranded on the island and they oh, cast away, cast away. So he was cast away with the ball. Wilson, Wilson, Wilson. Oh my God, <laughs> oh my God, we've had we've had crazy ocean swimmers with little. Um, bikini bathing suits like you know i'm an ocean swimmer i mean it's just really 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 fun we have a merguin that comes like a half uh penguin and a half mermaid i mean it just gets it's so it's so fun <laughs> yeah and it sounds super creative a merguin, merguin. i want to see that costume um, <laughs> you'll have I to mean, go to the website and check out some of the photographs from the the last couple of years pictures. oh yeah it's really yeah. fun that sounds absolutely fantastic. And and I think also the emphasis on celebrating like the good ocean news and the achievements that, you know, whether it was specifically Inland Ocean Coalition or just any other achievement, like putting the focus on that is really important because we do get so much doomsday news. It's easy to feel like there's nothing we can do and we're too small. And then and then you get the Gen Z kids being like, okay, Doomer, that's a new <laughs> thing now. Oh. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it's really great because sometimes change, it happens slowly. You know, it's not, it's not clickbait. It's yeah. not, usually it's not sensational or like newsworthy because news is practically entertainment now. But mm -hmm. That's that's so great. I'm so glad there's a whole party about it. <laughs> a whole party celebrating the good. And we collaborate with a lot of other organizations. So we like to promote what they're doing. And, you know, when there's a big policy effort, whether it's, you know, around right whales or around plastic pollution legislation, you know, we all we try to team up together because we don't we feel like, you know, we're everybody's stronger when we're working collaboratively together as opposed to individually so that's what's also fun about working you know in this in this space most of the people who are doing ocean work want to work with others because we know the challenges we're facing and we also enjoy having a good beer good cold <laughs> beer a glass of wine when we are feeling like we are we're making some headway and you know you got to really got to really cherish those those pieces of good news 
Yeah, yeah. And it and working with others is really important because um I mean, one it's good to know you're not alone, mm-hmm. right? That's that's a huge uh, psychological relief, especially when faced with such existential crises. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, you're you're better together because you can lift each other up, you can bounce ideas off each other. There's collaboration. It's just it. I almost feel like it's you know we're we're taught to be in competition with each other so much. Um, at least that's my experience in the states, and you know we forget like oh, we, you know, this organization and my organization, we have the same goals. We should help each other out. We'll achieve those goals so much faster. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. And then I also have a, I I co-host a podcast that is called the Rising Tide Ocean Podcast with uh, David Helberg, who's the founder and director of uh, Blue Frontier. So it's kind of, he, he kind of coordinates the podcast and then I just help. But we also try to find people who are working in the field, whether they're uh, authors or created movies or doing science work to really promote what's happening. And Tara, I'd love to have you on the podcast one of these days, because I think what you guys are doing uh, with IntelliReef is, is so amazing. So it's, it's a, again, it's, it's trying to uplift everybody's efforts to really make, make headway, because God only knows mm-hmm. we need it. Well, I happily accept your invitation <laughs> whenever you're not globe hopping let me know we'll schedule a time I, know, I love these projects that we're working on in different areas it's really been fun to go uh, get on the ground and go to these areas and work with the ngos who are who are working you know with their communities to really help collaborate and try to get one clear message out about this petrochemical sunscreen and i know that there has been um criticisms in some arenas like oh my god we have climate change to work on why are you bothering with sunscreens and it's kind of like no there's plenty of effort that can go around and this is an easy situation where you can just quickly change your ways where obviously climate change is going to take far more significant efforts and i feel like with the biden administration with you know his last uh, infrastructure act we're putting a lot of effort into electric cars and electrification and solar panels and wind panels to reduce the fossil fuel use is really moving the dials for ocean protection and of course that direct tie with ocean acidification so but that took effort and that took all of us ocean people and land people working on climate change teaming up together to really help with that policy change and that shift yeah, I think um, I think it's interesting when people get upset with you for trying to make a positive change because it's not the positive change that they think should happen first. <laughs> you know, I'm there's like, you plenty know, plenty of problems to work on. <laughs> right, like there's plenty to go around. Um, right. <laughs> but also, like, if you think about it, you know, like it's what what it was. What was the exact verbiage you used? Petroleum based sunscreen petroleum based sunscreens yeah right where do they think the petroleum comes from yeah and that's why we're we're using that term i think because people chemical they just like kind of are used to it but to bring it back that this is a petroleum based chemical sunscreen that you are putting on your body you're smothering it on you and your kids and think twice about that that 
product that you're using. Yeah, well, and like, you know, if we want to stop climate change, we need to stop the extraction of fossil fuels. And it doesn't matter what product they're going to, whether it's the gas tank in a car or a sunscreen or plastic, mm -hmm. right? Like stopping plastic production reduces the extraction of fossil fuels. It's also a lot of people forget that it's also an environmental justice issue because who has to deal with all the plastic waste, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not the countries producing it. <laughs> facilities. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, where does it wash wash ashore? Like it's it's um it's it's all generally a bit bigger and more complicated than we initially think a problem is. Yeah. Um which is why it is so important to focus on uh the successes that we have. Um speaking of which, uh shall we discuss a, a recent success of the Inland Ocean Coalition, something that you were just like, yes, everyone gets a pat on the back. We achieved a thing. Well, we just achieved something in Colorado, which was very, very exciting. And if you look at the federal, well, obviously we know politics are very divided. You really, it's, it's very hard to get something through Congress. Um, and so we have been trying for years to work on a, uh, a, a big national plastics bill that would put the onus of collecting the single-use plastics back on the industry. And that has just been dead in the tracks for a very, very long time. So there's been a lot of conversations where let's go to the states and see if we can make some headway. So Colorado, we got together with a lot of the organizations that have been working on this issue, and we were able to actually turn over it's something called preemption and preemption is in essence a ban on bans and so colorado was the first state in the country last year to have the governor sign this new bill which gets rid of preemption that will allow communities to come up with a single use ban or a a bottle ban whatever they want to do in their in their region so that was a big exciting opportunity to celebrate and hopefully we will be an example for other states and how you can turn over that ban. Um, in addition, we were able to implement a single-use plastic bag ban that will that started out with a fee and then this summer has switched over to an actual ban. And so that's um, so it's a big win for Colorado and so you're starting to see states begin to take that approach Again, it depends on the politics, because when you look at environmental protection, it really is about what kind of a policy you can push through either the state or the federal uh, legislator. So it's, you know, you've got to take advantage when you get the right mix of Democrats and Republicans who have an environmental goal to really move quickly and get things done. Um, sadly, I don't like to say this, but a majority of the Republicans are in favor of keeping our petrochemical and our fossil fuel industry alive and well and they're not i don't think you just surprised anybody <laughs> and I, and they're not really um leaders out there with you know the climate change dialogue where the democrats are the opposite so it's it has been it is and has been very challenging to move 
uh, legislation through. So any little win we can get is is something to celebrate, especially when it comes to, you know, plastic pollution and, and climate change. Yeah. And honestly, with uh, knowing how slow uh, the legal system is to move and change, that's a big deal getting rid of preemption. Like it's huge. Um, and, you know, sm the smaller the government entity is, like a municipality is going to move faster than a state, you know, cities can start doing things now because the state isn't telling them that they can't. And then a lot of states that are, are, you know, on the coast are actually taking some initiatives dealing with their living shorelines and really trying to get away from this hard, fast, you know, concrete barrier and trying to restore wetlands and putting in mangroves. And, you know, a lot of our volunteers are working on those areas because crazy enough, there are now coastal people signing up to be an inland ocean ambassador and going back to their coastal states and working within that space. So somebody suggested maybe I should change the name again, but I, I think we're going to stick with it. But <laughs> because the idea isn't really just being inland. It's being able to take these ideas and teaming up with, you know, local organizations or um, state agencies who are being proactive and working on these uh, wetland or watershed issues, coastal issues, forest protection, mango protection issues. Are, again, there are just so many great things we can be doing. It's just getting the tools to the people and the incentive um, to get them to do it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm so happy that you shared that example because I was really excited to share uh, like policy and legislation campaigns and stuff for systemic change because that's generally the hardest and that's when people feel a little downtrodden and y'all are doing it and you just had a great success and you know if y'all can't go to the mermaid ball do a little dance right now because that was a big deal <laughs> i think people just need to recognize that they can they i mean people get so frustrated with the bigger pictures but uh you know, every little thing that people can do to share an idea with their colleague. I mean, I have one fun example just with plastic straws. Um, and my daughter's now in college, but when she would come in with her friends, we were pushing a plastic straw ban because we thought, let's let's go with baby steps. Let's not. And this was a number of years ago. And the girls and their friends would walk in with their straw and I would have the straw campaign. And then they would come in and then they would, they would kind of hide them. And then they would come in with their metal straw and you know, and so they started just by coming in and hanging out here and walking by my office they had this awareness and then they would just be carrying their metal cups and so i just saw in a couple of years these high schoolers really become much more aware of their single-use plastics just by being exposed to you know melina and to me and uh, to our son ari just because you oftentimes do what your friends are doing. And if some of those friends are able to pick up some of these approaches, it really can just ripple through your community. And uh, you can just be change agents sometimes without even knowing it by being aware mm -hmm. of the, um, the, the implications of your actions. Totally. And on that happy note, listeners, I invite you to check out our show notes to learn more about the Inland Ocean Coalition attending the mermaid ball and how you can be an ocean steward even if you're landlocked subscribe to our show so you never miss a wave catch you next time mm -hmm.